Hi, I'm James Gagliardi, along with Natalie Wires and Jason Nice. Between us, we have over 40 years of experience working in e-commerce technologies. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Today, we're in San Francisco, one of the tech capitals of the world and home to many companies that are thriving thanks to e-commerce, including Databricks. It's the classic story of some guys at Berkeley who started a research project and ended up creating a company that enables others to combine big data and machine learning. Companies can use those superpowers to create products that help businesses work smarter and faster and even improve our lives. My interview today is with Curtis Smith, Databricks corporate controller, who keeps his eye on all the risk that can come with handling a lot of data, privacy, security, and yes, how to monetize the product and grow the company. We're a, what they call, or what we're calling a unified analytics platform. So what we've done is, is that because the data is moving to the cloud, um, data scientists are also, you know, have to get their data there. Um, so our software and everything we do is already lives in the cloud. Databricks is built on uh, the uh, open source um, Apache Spark. Most of the committers and the founders um, were the ones that have started Databricks and actually work here. And um, there's a great movement for companies out there wanting to um, build their capabilities on open source technology because otherwise you get locked in to one vendor, locked into Databricks. And nobody wants to be locked in in a, in a you know sort of monopolistic situation where pricing becomes something that you know you no longer can control. Um, and so having an open source um, product out there really kind of helps you know even the playing field with respect to you know customer and and supplier, if you will. And so that's something that's um, you know that's distinguished Databricks from a lot of the other on-prem providers out there. Which answers the question about the value Databricks provides, but what does it mean in terms of how it works? So if you think about, you know, Capital One and a credit card decision, you know, they have the, basically, you're online, you put in your, your basic information, they'll run it, and they'll come back and say, yeah, we'll give you a credit card or not. Well, that's all based on a, a set of sort of batch, in process, hitting a bunch of data sources, making the decision and then coming back. And so the data engineers make sure that those things are working, that they're working and they're optimized and they're you know, flowing pretty quickly against that data set. Data scientists are always trying to figure out ways to improve it to make better decisions um, on that. Um, a data scientist is saying, you know, in the ocean of data, in the Pacific Ocean, um, they, you know, in the old world with Hadoop, you'll send out a probe into this data and you'll say, well, how many sharks are in the ocean? And the probe will launch it off, and you know, and a week later it'll come back, and it'll say, you know, there's you know ten sharks in the ocean. But a data scientist is going, wait, well, how many have spots? How many are male, female? How many are swimming at ten feet versus twenty feet? How many are in this sector versus that sector? You know, how many are this old versus that old? You know, how many have the fin that's you know you know this many inches versus that many inches, and you know, on and on and on load up that query on the traditional technology and it just comes, you know, it'll come to a halt 
before it comes back. And by the time it comes back, it's it's no longer relevant, right? And so with the Spark technology, it just comes back so much faster. It comes back in hours where it would take normal technology a week. And if a data scientist is doing that against data, then that whole process that a data scientist is following could be learned and replicated by a machine. And so the machine learning starts to take over when you can return um, answers to questions more quickly. And so that's really what Databricks is all, all about. It's enabling. It's, you think about every application on your, your phone. Um, every one of those applications is trying to learn, trying to, trying to be personal. Um, and trying to learn more about you as an individual, what your patterns are, you know, what you're interested in, you know, how many times you want you go to this location via maps versus that location. You can easily start to say, wow, somebody's got Alzheimer's, you know, what if they go outside of the range of their house because they've lost their way? Immediately alerting the, you know, the daughter who lives over here, you know, with an alert on her, you know, on her watch saying, hey, your mother's just, you know, walked outside. I mean, stuff like that even is is just, you know, amazing. And that's the kind of stuff that's, you know, really exists. Now, the challenge associated between, you know, sort of the chasm or, you know, the, the gap that exists is, you know, for that, there's data privacy, there's rules about how you can use that data and everything else. And again, this is where Databricks kind of really starts to come in to play um, is really kind of helping to enable everything to happen but in a private and secure way that 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 data is protected and it's only used for like specific workloads and, and so on and so forth so other countries have either stricter rules about data protection or less strict rules right where they're especially when it comes to like healthcare where they're more open to sharing sort of this aggregate so as you guys expand globally how is that data protection component playing into how you guys are thinking about your product and your offering? If you think again about you know a cell phone um, provider, cell phone company device or whatever that's literally collecting um, data through uh, all different vectors and pentabytes and you know of data, you know, on, you know, a day. Um, coming in, and it's just mass amount of data, you know, and security threats develop over time through different vectors, whether it's through this device, that device, whatever. If you're somebody who's like trying to trying to break into a security situation, you don't want to show your cards all the way at once. You, you sort of test different ways and stuff like that. Well, what kind of testing needs to be detected? And so, if you're somebody who's responsible for security in an environment like that, where that data is just piling on top of you, it's really really difficult. So being able to have a tool um, and an application and technology like others where it can, can be constantly going into the data, you can constantly be improving it, and you're looking, hey, I saw this, then I should be looking for this um, kind of stuff, you're, you're, you're really trying to sort of you know, add a layer of protection that is sort of real time. And data is not just numbers, um, it's sounds, it's pictures, and so if you think about it, somebody walking into an airport and there's, you know, facial recognition, okay, have I seen that person before? What day is it? Um, what time of day is it? What flights are leaving in the next two hours? Um, you know, what's that backpack? Are they wearing a backpack or whatever? To determine um, a threat is just like 
you know, a cyber threat, you know, it's a physical threat. This is where we want to take you behind the curtain a little bit, back up to get the story about how this visionary idea took root in the first place. As I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, Databricks is the classic college kids make good story. A group of really smart guys at Berkeley, one of them working on a PhD project that wasn't going quite the way he wanted it to. Um, Matei Saharia, um, our chief technical officer here, um, he, uh, they were all working together at the um, Berkeley uh, AMP lab. He had a, an exercise or a project or something where he needed to you know, do some data uh, research and, um, and was, was needed to, to do some, turn it around quickly. And um, the data was in the cloud or whatever, AWS, uh, I think it was at the time. And, and so the existing technologist, he was just disappointed with how quickly the results were coming back and everything. And so it started to look into, how can you make this faster? Uh, I think he won some awards associated with um, with that PhD project, and you know, ultimately getting his PhD. So fast forward, these guys had all kind of worked together, and and so I don't, I don't know if somebody had kind of an idea. They were kind of Berkeley hippies, you know. And they kind of had this idea. They said, well, you know, maybe maybe other companies would like it, and so they went out to all the different companies at the time. They're all on-prem service providers. Nobody was working in the cloud. And they said, hey, we got this tool that only works in AWS or something like that. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, we don't really want to talk to you guys. They went to, you know, I think they went to Apple and Oracle and Hortonworks and Cloudera and, you know, MapR. No one was thinking and, you about know, nobody the was thinking about there are huge revenues coming from yeah. on-prem. You know, they're already yeah. providing those services in those environments. And and so they said, okay. And then part of that whole thing, I know when Matei finished his thing, he basically turned over the technology to um, having developed it in the academic world turned it over to the Apache Foundation, and that's how it became open source. So that was the other thing. So they created an open source project out of it to, to continue the work. And so the team there kind of continued, we're continuing the work of that, of that project. And, um, and so that's when they said, you know, hey, maybe we could do something. We could actually you know, develop an app, develop, develop something that could be sold. Um, as they were developing that project and trying to get it to take hold. One of the things they learned early on was is that with any open source technology um, is you have to get adoption. And fortunately, um, Ben Horowitz and Andrew Horowitz, he kind of spot somehow through a friend, um, through somebody you knew was introduced to these guys and said, you know, this is exactly what I'm looking for because I, I can see this coming. And so, you know, he put in a million bucks or whatever it was and, and kind of just funded these guys to kind of do what they want, and that's how it happened for a couple of years. Meanwhile, while all this was happening, the data going into the cloud was just going like this. It was hockey sticking in a big way. And so they just caught the beginning of the wave. And so they were on the wave, and it was their wave. Nobody else was even on it. They were just, you know, loving life. So how does do you guys think about selling your products and monetizing your products, and especially as you think about expanding globally what are you watching out for and, and building in order to do that successfully? I think the, the most success is of selling to enterprises. So enterprises that have gone through that transition that I've just talked about or have become aware that they need um, a better, uh, a better they, they need a better way to analyze data. With all that said, you know, those that realize it, those that have, you know, cases for business cases for, um, 
for applying that, then, then you know, those are the ones we, we can get their attention pretty quickly. Like I said, there's that process of, of keeping people uh, out there in the world, you know, people that are in our space adopting Spark. That's really, really important. Um, we have you know, international as well as um, uh, a conference here in San Francisco every year. And they're big, well-attended conferences, and they're really designed to kind of drive awareness, not just awareness of the open source uh, technology, but also how it's being applied. So IBM and Apple and Adobe and, you know, these big companies are at those conferences, you know, sharing their stories about how they're using it. So then how do we sell? Well, that drives a lot of demand. Um, the the there's more demand than we have salespeople to, to handle, fortunately, a big pipeline. Um, but it really requires, um, uh, a, you know, for those larger enterprises, it really requires a, you know, that personal you know, um, sales development process to occur. Um, it's not something like online, you know, SaaS you know, type of thing where I just you know, log in, fill out a little, you know, or you know a, a template or something, some information, and sign up. You know, and then there I go. It's it's not like that. It, it's not so much the Databricks itself. The interface is hard to use. No, we, in fact, we don't even bother training people so much on that. Um, we don't. I don't think we have any training that we do on that. All of our training, everything we do, is about Spark and and, and saying and helping people over the over the chasm. You know, over the gap. Um, to go from where they are today um, and what they're doing today to get to Spark. We help them do that. And then once they, once they get to the other side, Databricks, the application is there to kind of, or actually Databricks helps them bridge that gap, but it requires a lot of leadership and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of time. So how we sell it is mostly, you know, through um, direct interaction with the customers. We'll put together a proof concept or uh, a prototype, um, and they'll run some of their existing jobs through it. They'll go, wow, it's running, you know, 10 times, 20 times, you know, even faster. Um, and we haven't even jumped in to even optimize it at that point. So like, then they start doing the math and, the, and, and figuring out, wow, this is, this is, this is the way to go, and, uh, and start to move in our direction. So it's a pretty straightforward sales mm -hmm. process. We also have some support. Um, again, the support tends to focus not so much, again, on the Databricks UI. Um, it's more on Spark. And so people look for you know, support saying, well, how do I do this in Spark? How do I do this faster? Hey, can you look at how I built this? Is this the best way? I want to do this. How do I, you know, how can I do this, this, and this? And so we're, we're able to provide them with that kind of thing. And then there's additional services that we can provide to actually do the work where we move stuff over if they just don't have enough bandwidth or whatever. Um, and are we, you um, handling all of the payment processing and yeah. tax remittance and yeah. all of so, that internally? Yeah, yeah. So the way that all happens is um, we have, um, again, one, one platform, um, NetSuite, that we use um, for billing and collections and we're not for revenue recognition yet, but we're working on that. Um, and so the way it works is, is that you know these contracts come in. Um, a lot of them are different. We, we kind of at this point in our 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 life cycle, if you will, as a company, um, sales has a, a lot of sway in terms of how they can do things. And so sales is uh, you know out there you know craftily coming up with uh, new ways to sell things and and. 
tailoring the contracts to the customer and what the customer wants to do. Um, to some extent, that's gotten it's gotten a little bit better. There's some standardization that's happening a little bit there, which is nice. But by and large, we have to be ready for pretty much anything. Ready for anything, including credit cards. I asked Curtis how that worked. Credit cards transactions happen in a number of different ways. We have a, if you go onto our website, you'll see, hey, try us, try this, or try whatever. You hit the button, and you go right into a sign-ups page. And then uh, we'll send an email out to you, and that email will um, ask you to fill in some credit card information. So we'll capture a credit card uh, number. And basically what they're doing is is that they're subscribing to our online um, terms and conditions and the online rates that we have. Um, so an individual will try it. It could be several individuals from a company that will do it. We see that quite often. We also sell um, tickets to Spark Summit. Um, and so those are, we do those twice a year. There's usually somewhere four or 6,000 people do that. So there's quite a bit of ticket activity that come through. We have, uh, we just launched a um, uh, learning management system um, and that has a shopping cart and, and a, a web interface associated with it, uh, and uh, our web shopping experience where people can go through and buy shop or buy Spark classes, um, and uh, and then just pay for them on there, or they could subscribe to you know our online library for like seventy five bucks a month, I think it is, and and they can just do that. So that's also you know credit card based, um, but those are just small aspects associated with our business. We do have some enterprise customers that do want to pay by credit card, I'm sure we'll take their card. It sounds like there's a ton of stuff going really well here at Databricks. What keeps you up at night and what challenges are you guys facing? Yeah, the thing that keeps me up at night right now is um, as we continue to build out um, Zone in NetSuite and we continue to build out our, our, our configuration to ultimately move our enterprise customers into subscription billing, um, it's loading the usage into NetSuite. Um, right now, I only want, I want pristine data going in. I don't want to put dirty data in and create you know, a problem in NetSuite that I have to try to account my way out of or do anything. And so one of the things is, is what I mean by that is, is that um, there's so much happening in, in the company on the product, in the product development side, and engineering trying to keep up, and then sales maybe selling things that, well, we have workarounds for to deliver. Um, that can cause some um, issues with respect to, oh, a customer used this. No, well, but it, it says they used this, but it was really this. You know, it was really red, but, you know, uh, and that's the way they, that's what they use, but we need to charge them blue, you know. And so it's those kinds of things that keep me up at night. The lack of integration with respect to um, uh, customers. You know, I, I, I come from a world where, um, it, you know, like a glass door, for instance, where the uh, the user in, or the the interface that the customer has with their usage, with their results, with their with the product, the feedback, um, the the you know, how much did this cost me, where does it cost me more than other places, all be able to do that economic analytic, um, which we don't haven't quite fully built out yet in Databricks, so the customer somewhat it's hard for them sometimes to see um, all the details and we need to get that there. We're having to um, provide some of that through through our end. And so we've got you know data coming in that requires manual transformation. Think about ETL, extract, transformation, and load, right? And we're extracting the data, but the transformation layer is quite 
large for us before we can load it. Um, and you know, and I'm talking about financial reporting risk um, risk objectives here, um, risk con or control objectives here. You know, I, I've got to make sure it's complete. I've got to make sure it's accurate. I've got to make sure it's valid. Um, I've got to make sure it hasn't changed. Like somebody, it's restricted that people have, can, can't go in and change it, stuff like that. So those, just those control objectives, for instance, I have to, the, all my control activities to achieve those objectives, all those control activities are manual. And that's what keeps me up at night.